marketing friends. Today, I'm talking to self-proclaimed computer geek, Jeff Hunter. Before I tell you about Jeff, let me tell you why I invited him on the show, and that is his content. We get lots of requests at Marketing Sweat to feature a variety of experts. And while we try to follow up, not all the guests are a great fit for the show. Jeff, on the other hand, is someone I've come to respect immensely. His social media content is compelling. He takes a stand on issues, he makes you laugh, and he tries to be really consistent about his brand. We'll talk about that on this episode, and I think there's a lot to learn from him about personal branding. Beyond that, however, Jeff's story is interesting. He's an entrepreneur who left the corporate world to start VA Staffers, a company who builds virtual teams for CEOs and startup companies. While his particular brand of staffing is an offshore model, I've come to learn just how many independent marketers, perhaps you're one, rely on a virtual team to make their business go around. And I think this topic is timely, especially in this COVID era where remote work has been so normalized. Many companies and leaders are left trying to figure it out, all of these work from home and hybrid models. If you're not intrigued yet, I'd tell you to have a listen to Jeff's own podcast, The Savage Marketer. He's a real treat. He's smart, energetic, and has a tell-it-like-it-is persona with many stories to tell. So without further ado, here he is, everyone, Jeff Hunter. Can you just start by giving us a little bit of your of your story, your background, how you came up in the world, and kind of how you got started? I've always loved communications, information technology. I would say that I've, I've been your typical computer geek. So I kind of dove into the computer arena and technology and I really loved video games, which I still do. And then I became the network administrator for this little health and wellness center. And then I became the IT guy at a school district. And then I ended up becoming the IT coordinator for an entire school district. And then I got recruited to be an IT project manager for Philips Electronics, which was my first time working for a Fortune 500. Yeah. And I became a top five project manager there. It was at that moment in that whole corporate arena when I realized that was my first time ever having a job where I actually worked from a home office. Mm. Like back then, this is 2012. To me, that was a mind-blowing concept to not have to go to work. Absolutely. Yeah. And then to learn that you actually do have to go to work. I think the hardest part for me has been the ability to kind of turn it off, you know? Yeah. Well, I'm going to dig into that in a minute because you told me that last time we spoke about how important it was for you to figure out even how to create influence. But mm-hmm. let's back up just a minute. Help me understand your transition from, you know, working in IT project management to deciding to go out on your own. Was that sort of spark of inspiration because you were working remote and you knew that you could build a whole team of virtual staffers for your clients? Well, well when I first started working in the project management role, this was 2012, 2013. It was kind of like this hybrid model where I was working probably like 80% from my home and 20% on site. And it was probably more like 60% from home and 40% on site. And we had what is called field service engineers, FSEs. And the FSEs, then we had like network administrators. And basically the, the way the projects were when I first came to the company was drop a bunch of guys off at a site let them get to work, tell them what they need to do. And then I would go for the kickoff meeting and I would, and I would go for the the sign off at the end. Sure. And, but then I realized that I could actually cut down time on these projects by shipping equipment out ahead of time, sending out an engineer to get the server set up and that I could have the network administrators, the, the network guys 
work on stuff remotely from their home. And okay. they were actually able to do things faster because they weren't stuck on site answering, you know, Jane Doe in the hallway, right? Sure. As their, their sure. IT guy. And I kind of realized that, okay, if I could make things more remote and I could get increased productivity, if I, it, this was the mind blowing moment in my life was like, okay, wait, I'm actually getting more productivity by not having them on site. I'm actually getting yeah. more productivity by them working from home. That was right. like the aha moment. Yeah. And then I started thinking, well, what else could I do? What else could I delegate? Well, what I think is interesting about what you shared is, you know, it's expensive to hire and train and recruit. I mean, I, I speak from experience on that. And so these new platforms where you can tap into talent, like you said, and try them out, give them a project seems like a really great way, especially post COVID, right? As we're all trying to figure out a remote workforce to sort of get some key talent. And I know that's a topic you speak on a lot. So talk to me a little bit more about why you believe so strongly besides utilization and keeping people busy and being able to try them out about why remote teams make a, a good sense for a lot of organizations? Well, I think number one is you're not tied down to just the talent in your area, right? Sure. And of course, you know, the number one thing that most people think about is like the cost, because even the most amazing, talented people in the world would probably take less money if they're able to do it from home in their pajamas like I am right now. <laughs> All right. This is true. There's a huge perk to working from home. And you know what the other thing is too? This is the most viral post I ever made on LinkedIn. I mean, even myself, I have, a, you know, side hustles and that sort of thing. So being yeah. able to do that virtually and connect with people across the country, you know, I, I, like I said, I belong to this network of coaches. One's in California, one's in Portland, one's in DC. And so it's just broadening your network. Yeah. And, you know, I, I do want to circle back to one thing you said, because I think it's important because you talked about going on Upwork and Fiverr in these places and how you're able to kind of like try out talent and, and that and that. The biggest tip that I could give anyone, you want to make sure that when you hire people before they even get to interview with you, before they get to talk to you, they need to have a really strong vetting process that's experiential. Okay. So I give assignments to people to do as part of the application process. Mm -hmm. So for example, I have client calls all the time and every morning at 9am I have a quick call with my own, my dedicated assistant team. So I have three assistants to support. Me. So one of them helps manage my social media presence. She responds to all my TikTok comments. I get thousands of them. I've been viral on TikTok. You know, no. she does all my LinkedIn engagement. She answers all my messages. And then I have Tristan, who he answers all my emails, follows up on things. He does what we call account time scrubbing. So any type of accounting issues. I mean, there's very specific roles that I do. And I record that I recorded a call, like a 15 minute call in the morning. And it's like me going over my to-do list with my team. Right. And I actually give them, here's the layout of what I, you know, like I let them listen to it for 15 minutes. And then afterwards, they can't go back to the audio. Afterwards, I say, okay, what was this call about? What did we talk about? Yeah. Who was in the meeting? Right. So I'm checking to see if how their attention skills are. Interesting. Right? Yeah. I have a personality test. We have them take a disc assessment, the Tony Robbins disc assessment. So there's things like that that like I think you can very much tell if a person's going to be a good fit. I want it to be very hard to work for me, as absolutely <laughs> hard as possible. In our last rounds of hires, we had 184 people apply, 
and we accepted eight. Wow. That's crazy. You know, I bet for a lot of people listening right now, just even getting in the mindset of having three virtual staffers that help you with your online presence and that sort of thing is sort of mind blowing. You know, I am lucky enough to lead a company of 88 people, and yet I don't have three people that help me through my day to day. So talk to me about what that has looked like for you personally to be able to sort of give up that control, but then also know that you're trusting a team who really understands your brand and your expectations of what you want to put out in the universe. Well, I will be 100% transparent with you guys that it was not an overnight thing. Sure. And the hardest thing for me to do, especially as a project management in the corporate world before, was to give up my email. That was hard. (laughs) I did learn something out of it, though. Yeah. To a project manager, email is the sacred holy grail. You know, like nothing drops. Sure. So a little tip for delegating email I had Isabel, who does my emails. Isabel went into my emails, and I and it took me about a week to feel really comfortable with her. I would have her log in, and still to this day, I have her log in to work one hour before I wake up. Okay. And the reason why is because I don't know about you, but I, the first thing I do when I wake up is I grab my phone, right. and I look at all my hundreds of notifications. Yep. So she logs in an hour before me, and she reviews all my emails. And then she flags the ones that are important that need my personal attention. Okay. And she does the rest. Now, of course, on day one, she wasn't able to do the rest because she didn't know what to do. Sure. So what she did was she went through my emails and she actually wrote a little note for each of the emails on what she thought she should do. Oh, interesting. It's a great training ground. So she marked them all as unread again. And so that her and I had a chance to review them together. It took only one week, by the way, and now she's able to do all that for me. That's so cool. And I can attest to that. Even reaching out to you to do this podcast, you said the person who responded to me wasn't you, and I wouldn't have known that. So it is a big shift, I and mean, it's cool that your team works together. Let me ask. I think that's the goal, though, Misty. And, and yeah. for anyone listening in, I do want to point out that this is the ultimate goal. The ultimate goal is that your team helps you run your business and no one even knows it. That's yeah. the key. Right. Like most people on my social media and stuff, like they feel like they know me. The responses on my social media are really good and they're very thoughtful and they're not written by me. Yeah. <laughs> my posts are written by me. Okay. The majority of them. <laughs> right. But but all the comments to and back and forth, I've I've eliminated that out of my life. So it's I think it's very important to be present, but I don't think it's very important that I'm the person who's present all the time. Sure. So if a new client came to you, let's say Misty came to you and and wanted some help, virtual staffing to support my personal brand, what would that intake process look like? What questions would you ask me and and how would you help me build my team? So the very first thing we do, and this is, this is a process I do with all my clients, it's called the Freedom Plan. Okay. And I did this back in 2016 with myself. And it's funny, it's the same exercise since 2016. I separate out a client. Well, now I've got an automated training. So anytime even somebody comes to me, I send them this training. But it's literally like a 15-minute exercise that really helps segment your life into four main categories. The first category is repetitive. What are the repetitive things that you're doing every day? Those are the easiest things to get off your plate. Email, 
meeting minutes. Sometimes people don't take meeting minutes, but I'm telling you what, if you ever get on a call with me, it's crazy how much business I've gotten just because I'm done with a call and within like 10, 15 minutes later, a super detailed meeting minutes with discussion agenda, opportunities, links to things we talked about, PDF of a pricing package or whatever, a link to pay. They're like, oh, I need this. I need yeah. someone to do that for me. We do the same thing. That that right. just urgency that, that you heard them is so important. So, so it's great so you have people are, do that. So that that's the first step is what is your repetitive things? And then okay. the second one is your challenging things. So for example, setting up a funnel, email automation, graphic design, social media assets, doing video clips. Like these are all like things that are challenging. Does it make sense for you to do it if someone can do it better? Right. And faster. And even if you might have to pay more. Right. And that's why I don't like the word outsourcing. I, I look at it in two different categories, upsourcing and downsourcing. Oh, cool. Repetitive things. Those are downsourcing. Okay. Challenging things. Those are upsourcing. You know, sure. you need someone who has more talent than you. Yeah. The third box. This is the one nobody wants to admit. This is the neglected box. <laughs> right? What are the things that you should be doing in your business, but you're not like the social media posts or doing the podcast interviews like this or doing the outreach campaign on LinkedIn? It takes um, intentional effort for sure. It does. Oh, what that was last your fourth, Yeah. What was your fourth box? Value. Value. Okay. What is the most valuable use of your time? So is it, is it doing sales? with your, you know, potential clients? Is it putting together that course or that book that you never finished? Right. Is it, is it spending more time with your family? Maybe, right. Yeah. Maybe, maybe you need someone just to free you up and that's worth the time, you know, like how much time are you getting to spend with your loved ones? So, you know, and I think that once you put that list together, the goal is to spend the majority of your time on the value box mm-hmm. and then figure out a way to delegate. I call it ADD. You either automate stuff, that's first order, automate stuff. Anything you can automate, automate. Anything you can't automate, you delegate. Or you have a choice. You either have to do it yourself or you have to delete it from your life. Interesting. That is so cool. I love that model. We'll definitely post that. And we could even use that here at Samantha. (laughs) Let's back up and talk a little bit about the concept of personal branding. Because I know you've actually have a second company you call Branded Media that's an offshoot of your original virtual staffing company. Talk about how that was a natural extension for you to help others with their personal brands and how you did that for yourself. You know, it's something I struggle with. Where do I put out my name and how comfortable am I going to be with my content and my products and how am I going to monetize that? I mean, that's a lot to think through for any marketer, but we all both work for our organizations and work for ourselves. How do you think about those things? That's a tough question because, you know, back in 2016, when I was still you know, working for a company plus kind of doing my own side hustle, I was conflicted. I actually started two LinkedIn accounts because I was kind of worried, like, oh, what if they, what if they caught on? It's right. funny because what you don't know is that LinkedIn steals all your contacts anyway. So <laughs> as soon as I made the second account, it suggested me to like my boss. Oh, that's funny. <laughs> and I'm like, no. <laughs> but what's really interesting is that. I think there's a moment where at the end of the day, people like to do business with people. Mm -hmm. And like you said, kind of the natural progression is that once 
I started working with like higher end clientele and like Dennis Yu, who is, he's very big in the digital marketing world. He speaks on all the traffic conversion summits and stuff. And I picked him up as a client. We worked together on our project, kind of a white label. We were doing content for Vendasta, which is ironically a white label company. So we were doing white label content for the white label company. (laughs) But he said, Jeff, the content you're doing, the brands you're building for people, for yourself, he's he's like, you know, you're really good at branding. And he's like, and you're never really going to be able to focus on that and achieve what you want to in branding if you're stuck behind the veil of a virtual staffing agency because they're so different. Right. And he says, what you really need to do is create your own offshoot to do branded media. And ironically, I went to Google or GoDaddy and I typed in brandedmedia.com. It was taken. They said that IO was available. I bought it. Yeah. The very next morning, I went in, I went in to, to meet with him and the team. And I said, hey, I, thanks for your advice. I bought the domain. I'm now officially branded media. So that's, right. that's how that worked. And then what was cool about that was when you have something when you have it like it's an entity, it's not just an idea anymore, it's something, mm-hmm. then you can put attention to it and you can come up with what that is. So yeah. I actually had a really fun time because I was so building, busy building brands with my other clients, mostly personal brands, that I never really focused on my own brand mm. outside of my own content marketing. Right. And so it was kind of like a fun baby that I created. And we came up with the core branding method. I actually work with one of my mentors, Doug Harrison. She's That's worked great. with Microsoft, IBM, Coca-Cola, Disney, Amazon, you name it. He's done it. You know, and, and there's another thing. Here's a nugget. <laughs> Please pay for access. Go to masterminds, pay lots of money to just be around amazing people. And I will tell you that when you are in the same room with people, that whole six degrees of separation thing, like it's really in today's virtual world, like one degree. Somebody you know, knows somebody that will change your life. A hundred percent agree with you. Yeah, that's one of the reasons I do the podcast, right? One of my philosophies about personal branding is you have to know sort of what your core purpose is or value and then build your products around that. So when I asked you about that for you, you said that you always wanted to build influence. And I thought that was really cool. I think that that says a lot about you and the products you've built and how you're delivering that in the world. But what you just said makes sense too, right? You want to be around other people of influence so you can get in their spheres. Yeah. The reason why I want to have influence is because I can make impact, right? And it's funny because entrepreneurs always use that catchphrase like, oh, I want to make impact. It's not about the money. It's about impact. No, for me, it's it's everything. I want to make the money. I want to make the impact. I want to get the influence because I know that the more influence that I have, the more money that I have, the more impact that I can make, right? Like I'm not ashamed to admit it. I want to make as much money on this earth that I possibly can before I die because that's how you are able to make the most impact. It takes money to do these things. It does. Yes. Yes. And help other people. Yeah. It's like you can't feed the needy when you're needy. Yeah. Yeah. Well, from a really brass tacks perspective, Jeff, I think it's amazing how you've been able to get yourself on Forbes and entrepreneur. And like you said, some of these major platforms, how do you do that? How do you get your name out there? One of the things is that you do have to be very crystal clear on what you do and the value that you bring. And I think most people can't even give you a good elevator pitch. 
you know, right. Right. like they call it the X, Y, Z, right? Like I do X for Y that results in Z. Like if you're a digital marketer listening to this, like I build digital campaigns to drive revenue for fill in the blank, whatever your customer base is. Right. You know, and most people can't even say that in a sentence. Yeah. I found this out at a mastermind <laughs> that I paid $10,000 to go to. Right. With Doug Harrison. He was there. Yeah. And I went up on stage. We have it. It's called hot mic. You know, you get up on the hot mic and you tell everybody about yourself and what you do. And I was that guy. Yeah. I got up there and I, I, go, go, go. <laughs> I, 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 uh, right, right. virtual staffing company. Yeah. And then the questions came, right? Yeah. And I had a really hard talk with Doug. And it's funny because I had no idea who Doug was. I sat down in front of my dinner and all of a sudden he says, Hey, uh, Jeff, nice to meet you. And I said, Hey, thanks. He goes, I'm Doug. I said, Hey, Doug. And he says, you know, Jeff, I was listening to you up there about what you're doing with your with your branding stuff. And I was like, yeah. And he goes, you didn't do a very good job explaining <laughs> what you do. And I was like, yeah, I'm really struggling with that. He goes, yeah. He goes, you know what you do, Jeff? And I was like, what? He goes, you bring people to the world that matter. I started like tearing up. Like, oh, he gets me. You know, right. like I'm tearing up thinking about Yeah. Me. Yeah. I was like, oh, he gets me. And I was like, wow. Yeah. I had no idea who Doug was. I actually felt insulted to tell you the truth after he talked to me. <laughs> and then afterwards, somebody came up to me and he goes, oh my gosh, Jeff, how did that feel, man, to have that type of feedback from Doug? And I was like, <laughs> I felt like crap. <laughs> yeah. He's like, dude, you don't know who Doug is? I'm like, no. He's like, dude, he's like the godfather of branding. I'm like, what? Yeah. And he told me about what's going on. And I went back to Doug and I remember I went right up to his face, right like this. And by the way, he's like six, seven or something. He's huge. And I was like, hey, Doug. I was like, you know, I don't really have any mentors in the branding world. I'm a virtual staffing guy. I barely started my business a couple of years ago. And I was like, you know, I'd really, I don't know how, I don't know how much it's going to cost or what but I would be honored if you would be my mentor. And he gave me a hug and he said, Aww. done. <laughs> That's awesome. Sometimes it just takes asking, right? That's, That's amazing. Well, it's so true what you said. I, you know, we always use the Simon Sinek. Some can name what they do. If you can name why they do it. And I think that your XYZ model follows that, but I think it goes one step further. I'm going to have another personal branding expert on later in the season. And it's, it's really knowing what problem you're trying to solve. You know, it's one thing knowing what you're standing for, but if you can identify that enemy in the world that you're trying to tackle, it can go even further. It can make that story that much more compelling. You know, that's a brilliant topic. One of the brands that I've worked with is True Earth, T-R-U dot Earth. Okay. And the brand is doing phenomenal. I think they're up to eight figure in recurring revenue monthly right now. Guess who the villain is? So True Earth is a bio-friendly, eco-friendly laundry detergent strip. Okay. It comes in a biodegradable paper pouch. It comes with like 32 terrible strips that you okay. throw in the laundry. It dissolves and there's your, there's your dishwasher soap. Right. And you know who their villain is? Plastic jugs. 
Yeah. And like the majority of their posts on their Facebook page and their campaigns are about how many plastic jugs that they've saved sure. from the environment. And that helps them find their people, right? The people who also have that enemy are going to buy their product. And you should see the free advertisement that this guy gets from like, you know, I'm trying to remember her, her name. Uh, she's the former full house turned, you know, podcast celebrity star. Now the sister, she was the sister from, <laughs> I can't remember her name. I feel so Amy. Amy. Yeah. Something. Yeah. He didn't ask her anything just out of nowhere. She's like, yeah, these are products that I really swear by. And she was talking about the laundry detergent and like, you know, he clipped it, put it on his social media. Boom. Right. Now you've got millions and millions of followers listening to the Fuller House celebrity right. podcast. He's getting his brand chatted out by A-list celebrities. Right. Sure, sure. Because of his mission and because of the villain. Yeah. In addition to just knowing your story and what you're selling, when you approach an entrepreneur, you know, or a Forbes to become a platform where you put content out, what does that process look like? You have to demonstrate that not only are you an expert, because remember that these publications are being, they're getting pitched all the time by experts. You have to be someone who other people say is an expert that you can point out and say, this is why I'm an expert. So now because I'm a contributor, I have a column on entrepreneur about virtual teams. I can pretty much get access to anyone anywhere. I just had someone on my podcast because I told her that I'm a contributor to entrepreneur. I sent her a list of my articles about virtual teams and said, I want to have her on my podcast about her process of recruiting virtual teams. Yeah. Now all of a sudden you're an expert and other people want to be a part of that. Yeah. That makes really good sense. Another thing that I want to point out, guys, is that you should have a content directory of every single feature you've ever been on, every single podcast you've done, every single podcast you've been on, every article you've written, every blog you've done, so that you could literally give that to somebody and say, hey, look, here's everything that I've done. I bet you there's some things we can do here. Yeah. Well, that's so interesting. Just this week, I reached out and an aspirational plea to get somebody on the podcast. And I remember that I had written an article about a book this guy had written. So I luckily was able to search and pull that article. And I think that it was that thing that made him recognize, hey, this person has been following me for some time. So I love your idea about a content directory. I do want to ask about how you choose where to put your content. Number one, I think it's crazy cool how much content you're producing. I think that's a number one hurdle for a lot of us to just be brave enough to like, when we have a spark of inspiration, put that out in the universe. But then how you choose between Facebook, LinkedIn, TikTok, you know, all of the places where you're showing up as you. The best way to answer this, it depends on where your audience is. And, you know, this is something that I think so many people do wrong. They're just posting for the sake of posting. Let me give you guys, let's say like four tips. The first one would be you absolutely, this is marketing one-on-one. You have to know your audience really well. One of the things that I'll say is the posts that have been the most viral for me that have gotten the most attention have either been the most polarizing or the most thought provoking. Yeah. Or they've been the funniest. Right. So I like to switch between those three contents. And then here's my fourth tip. That should be like 
probably less than 10% should be about you, your business. Yes. <laughs> Post 10% about your business right. or less. Right. Because well, if so people if- like you, they will do business with you. Yeah. Well, there has to have been several posts in your history where right before you, you know, click the button or have your team do that, you're like, oh, what's going to come back? You know, how much time is this going to take me to manage? I've how deleted do- a bunch of posts too. <laughs> I, I have. I mean, the ones that I've recorded are the ones that I haven't deleted, right? Like, yeah. here's something that I'll also tell you guys is that like, if I see, and this is, this is just the truth of social media management and image, everything that you post online everything is either building or destroying your brand. Yeah. It's doing something. Right. So you have to, at the end of the day, determine if this is helping you or if it's hurting you. And in in return of that, I will tell you that what I've learned is that posting your opinions is good, even if people disagree with them. So here's the thing. When you post polarizing content, you will push people away and you will draw people closer. And that's just how it is. You have to be ready for both of them. And my advice is specifically to entrepreneurs because entrepreneurs, we get to choose who we work with. And if a client wants to hang up the phone because they don't agree with our political ideology, that's on you. And I can sleep at night knowing that I'm a very fair and just person and I care about everyone on all sides. And if somebody doesn't want to do business because of my ideology, I I don't care. In the beginning, it's going to be hard and you've got to hustle and you've got to, you have a lot of grit. And I think it's very easy to get to that first six figure mark. And then even to the million dollar mark, I think is pretty easy to do with grit, but to get past that million dollar mark, It really takes process. Mm. You got to have a really amazing product that sells itself. You got to have really amazing people and you got to have a really refined process. Those are the three P's, right? The process, the people, the product. Yes. And if you have those three down, dude, it's just about plugging in the right people. Absolutely. Because the process and the product are good. A lot of time people are having a hard time because they don't have a good product. Absolutely. Well, Jeff, I have learned a lot from you just by following your content, if nothing else, but it's been really fun to get to know you on a personal level as well. So I'm going to thank you for coming on Marketing Sweats. And I hope that we can keep in touch because you've got a lot to offer the world. Thank you so much, Misty. I'm looking forward to uh, seeing you on my LinkedIn feed some more. Absolutely. I'll be commenting. All right. I'll talk to you soon. Bye, Jeff. One of my favorite things that Jeff shared today is what he called the ADD model. Automate it, delegate it, do it yourself, or delete it. What a great way for marketers and leaders to evaluate their decisions on a daily basis to keep making those small pushes to grow your organization over time. After all, that is the theme of this season on Marketing Sweats, and I love the stories and lessons he pulls from both his successes and failures. I mean, he literally said during this interview, I don't recommend anyone do what I did. So I want to thank Jeff for being open and candid during our discussion. You can find Jeff in a few places. You can look him up at jeffjhunter.com, vastaffer.com, or look up his podcast, The Savage Marketer. And if you liked what you heard today, check out more episodes on our website, marketingsweats.com, or find us wherever you listen to podcasts and subscribe. For today, that's another episode of Marketing Sweats. Keep up the good work, friends.